Hello and welcome along to the World Game Live. It's fantastic to have your company this Wednesday, the 4th of November 2020. I'm your host, Lucy Zellich, and joining me for a massive show that we've got coming up. It's a very warm welcome to our special guest here today. It's PFA Co-Chief Executive Officer Bo Bush. Bo, welcome to you. How are you, my friend? Thank you, Lucy. I'm doing really well, enjoying some newfound uh, freedom in Victoria now. So life is good and we should hopefully very soon be able to leave Victoria as well too, which will be really nice as well. What a relief <laughs> for you guys because at this point, I mean, no one has done it tough. I mean, we've all experienced the hardships that coronavirus has brought on, but no one's done it tougher, I feel, with respect to lockdowns than Victorians. Um, what was, Bo, the first thing that you did when you realised you could actually get out and about? Um, I think I went for a coffee, Lucy. It's it's strange being able to go out and sit in a cafe surrounded by others. Um, obviously, we're still able to get a takeaway coffee, which is important. Um, that, as everybody knows, working in football to keep your energy levels high. But, um, yeah, it was really nice to be able to go out and sit in the company of others um, and be able to spend a little bit more time having some friends around in the house and, and be able to have the kids amuse themselves with their other friends. So that's mm -hmm. been uh, that's been really nice. So nice to get back to a sense of normality and uh, long may the uh, donuts continue. <laughs> and the good coffee in Melbourne because that would be the thing that would frustrate me the most in addition to a host of other things but, you know, not being able to experience that beautiful barista-made coffee in Melbourne where I feel you can't get a bad coffee if you try it. Uh, it would be very tough. I also want to make a, a special welcome to my co-host coming to us from SBS HQ here in Sydney. Welcome to you, Nick Stoll, a.k.a. Stolich. Um, how are you, my friend? On a day when we're talking about American politics, we thought what better way to give us a break than to talk about Australian football politics instead. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yes, we, we wanted to break away from that divisive, controversial US politics and the harmonious nature that is Australian football politics. No, it's good. Uh, we're excited. Forget Pennsylvania. It's all about, uh, you know, penalties. Forget <laughs> Ohio. It's all about Galazos here uh, on TWG. Uh, but, you know, let us know in the comments if, uh, I don't know, someone becomes president, whether it's Biden, Trump or Kanye West, and we have to, like, oh, change the whole thing. But for now... <laughs> And happy birthday to my girlfriend, Freya. Shout out, Freya. 28 Big years old. shout out to Freya. Amazing. Mia more, Mia. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Freya. They say behind every good man is an even better woman. So we know oh, that because you're a good bloke, we know you're a good bloke, Stolich, which means that Freya is an even better woman. So big shout out to her. She's a wonderful human being. And, uh, and I'm sure you're looking forward to the celebrations. You mentioned the comments there. I want to make also a very special welcome to our guests tuning in every week. We've seen a couple of our regulars bouncing through the stream already. Ivan Stragen, hello to you. Hope you're well. Also, Mike Long, welcome back. Nadia D. Tanais, great to have your company once again. We love having you guys here with us every Wednesday. A-League Memes, happy birthday, Freya. Nice to hear from you guys. Keep the jokes, the comments and the questions coming for the duration of the program. Of course, we're delighted that we could have the company of Bo Bush here with us today because, Bo, I'll tell you what, we are in a bit of a conundrum as it stands with respect to the Asian Champions League and the three participating A-League clubs. Can you tell us first and foremost from your perspective where things are at? Yeah, so you're absolutely right, Lucy. It comes at a really challenging time. I think I've had discussions with players for a about a month now consistently about this and I think what's really clear is that the Asian Champions League matters hugely to these players. I think we all remember now how wonderful that was when Western Sydney Wanderers won the tournament and what that meant for Australian football. So I think there's a really strong recognition of just how important the tournament is but it comes at a time that it is really, really challenging 
um, for the players and also with the government restrictions getting back into the country um, and also, I guess, a little bit opposing of how the two countries, Qatar and Australia, are doing in relation to coronavirus. So the real focus for us has been working with the clubs and also the coaches union as well really collaboratively to address the specifically um, and especially at the start, was the players' concerns about their health and safety going over there. Um, the clubs and I think really importantly the club CEOs have done a really good job in taking up all those um, concerns to the AFC and getting each and every one of those addressed. So I think where we're at in terms of the protocols, I think everyone's pretty comfortable with those. Obviously, we don't exactly be implemented yet and everybody is anxious considering what happened with Al Halal over there. Um, but today, there's, that's been really positive of how that's, those improvements have been made and there's still some work to be done on how the players get back into the country and importantly about them being able to train whilst they're here with the A-League scheduled to start on the 27th of December. It's really imperative that they are able to get out of hotel quarantine to train safely and not present any risk to the community. Um, but importantly, be able to make sure they're at the best for the start of the A-League season. What has your dialogue been like with the governing body with respect to this? Because we know that clubs can't directly communicate with AFC. This is something that has to be done via the Federation. But how have your discussions been with them over this? And, and what is their stance on this, Bo? Because before I talk about their statement and their position so far, I haven't been able to gauge what their view is on this. Mm. So, as I said, we've worked really collaboratively with the with the clubs and also the coaches union. In partnership with the coaches union, we wrote to FFA um, towards the end of last week with a really comprehensive letter to outline all of the concerns that the players had. And FFA came back to us on those and outlined um, the work that had been done in those particular spaces. And that's things in relation to insurance coverage for players, to the operational protocols that are in place for AFC and all the briefings that's been provided. We understand that talks with between the AFC and FFA are ongoing um, on behalf of the clubs and obviously FFA are the member of the AFC. So that remains ongoing. But, yeah, we have been in discussions with the FFA. I think the only thing that hasn't really occurred throughout this process has been at more of that macro level, and that's discussions between FIFA Pro Asia, who are the governing um, who are the representative, rather, of, of Asia's elite professional players in the AFC. That hasn't occurred, and I think that's something that everybody would like to see significant improvement in that space with the AFC actually engaging directly with the players' representative to make sure the players' concerns are heard um, at the AFC level. Stolich, over to you. Some questions for Bo? Yeah, Bo, I wanted to kind of uh, get a sense of what potentially could be done because we have a few problems here when it comes to the ACL. We have obviously, the you know, the players going over to Qatar and, and being safe over there while they're in the ACL. Then coming back and this idea of two weeks in quarantine and they want to train while they're in quarantine, which would mean that they need to pay, I think, $500,000 or something because they need um, a police escort to and from wherever their training ground is and, and all that kind of stuff. What are some of the solutions being bandied about to either, because I don't think the A-League clubs can afford the $500,000 quarantine cost in the end. So, because I feel like that is, is one of the kind of major issues that uh, mm. they're really dealing with is, how can they get back for a, a December, I think, 27th start? Could we push the A-League season back? Could we push the A-League season back for just those teams? Would, would, would it mean sending over, you know, maybe one squad for the ACL and having a squad here for the uh, A-League? And, and is that possible? So what are some of the solutions being talked about? 
Yeah, I know that the clubs, they're engaging directly with the New South Wales government um, to be able to facilitate that. And to your point, there obviously are significant costs. I think looking at it just to do um, the hotel quarantine is about $3,000 per person um, for an average person to come in. And then, as you rightly point out, Nick, being able to get out and all of the um, police escorts get safely to a training ground and that that obviously comes at a cost. Um, but I think where everybody's at is we want to be able to make sure we take every single um, step possible to start the season um, as planned on December 27. Perth may be in a different scenario because obviously each state is really controlled by the Premier and the health advice of the Chief chief Medical Officer there. Um, so that may be a little bit more of a different scenario of what those players have to go through. And there's also the complexity of getting Perth glory in and out post that after they come back to start their A-League matches. So it's it's complex, but I think the main priority at the moment, Nick, to answer your question, has been to work with government to safely allow for players to get out so they can prepare for the start of the season. Um, and then also try and work with the AFC, um, work with our medical advice that we've got to make sure that the players are really safe in the time that they're over there and they're not exposed to any risk of contracting COVID. Mm. Okay, I want to address now um, the statements that have come via Football Federation Australia as well as the Asian Football Confederation because I reached out to both on these particular subjects. Now, the questions that I posed to FFA initially were what dialogue has FFA had with the AFC regarding this situation and what is FFA's stance on the clubs participating. Now, this was their response to me from a spokesperson. FFA is currently in ongoing discussions with the Asian Football Confederation, A-League teams, Melbourne Victory, Perth Glory, Sydney FC and other member associations regarding the AFC Champions League 2020 planning and logistics as we navigate the challenges presented by the current COVID-19 implications. Now, to be fair and with the greatest of respect, that didn't answer any of my questions um, because I really wanted to get to the heart of what the dialogue has been like and what is the governing body's position on this? What is their stance? We obviously want the clubs to compete, but I want to know if that comes at a massive financial burden to these clubs and it poses significant issues for us here in Australia, um, you know, what are FFA going to do in the face of that? Um, you know, I've long been lobbying and, and this extends way back to, to 2018 when we knew that Stephen Lowy was stepping down. Um, I've long been lobbying for a CEO to come in and rule with great respect um, you know, when it comes to diplomacy, but also with an iron fist, right, to understand that when we are facing times of crises, which have been unprecedented, I give it that, um, that we expect someone to go in and to be able to, you know, have these discussions in the best interests of Australian football, not diplomacy, not maintaining relationships with key figures and stakeholders at the Asian Football Confederation or at FIFA and being a politician, but actually getting things done for us here in Australia and protecting the interests of our clubs. That's always been where my concern lies with respect to this issue. Now, when I reached out to the Asian Football Confederation, I said, what will AFC do to try and help these Australian-based clubs in the face of such challenges? What type of dialogue have the AFC had with FFA with respect to this issue? And what avenues of recourse will the A-League clubs have if they choose not to participate, i.e., could this issue be escalated to FIFA? 
Now, with respect to that final question, they said to me, this remains speculative and we will not elaborate further. Our commitment remains focused on completing the AFC Champions League, which we can all agree all of the A-League clubs want to be able to do that. But they sent me back the following uh, response with uh, respect to the first two questions that I asked them, saying that they've been working closely with the member federations. They've continued to monitor the situation closely, including receiving updates from our member associations. They've also engaged with their medical experts to establish several guidelines taking reference the industry's best practices to minimise the risks and they're also working with the health authorities of the host member association to deliver a safe competition. Now, to do that, the AFC have said that they've introduced a special rules applicable to AFC competitions during the COVID-19 pandemic, which highlights the best practices during this new normal. And they finish off by saying that organising a competition, especially one in the scale of the AFC Champions League in this current climate requires careful and meticulous planning and engagement with several key stakeholders. The safety of everyone remains their priority. Uh, Bo, I want to cut through the bullshit, right? And I want to get to the heart of what seems to be the main issue with this. And that is effectively now that we're in a similar scenario, a la the A-League with the host broadcaster Fox Fox Sports were part of me months ago, where they had to finish out a season and they would have been in contractual breaches if they weren't able to deliver on that. I believe the AFC are in a similar scenario here with their broadcasters. They have to deliver this content. And if A-League clubs choose not to participate, initially they could face fines of upfront fees of 50000 as well as be expelled from the competition for at least two years and also incur any additional costs that the AFC have to take on as a result of them not being able to fulfil their commercial obligations with their broadcasters. So the, the outcomes of this, if they choose not to participate are grave and they really could be well in excess of the hundreds of thousands of potentially even into the million sphere for these elite clubs which they simply cannot afford what is the recourse for them and and i mean i know that the clubs want to participate i've spoken to various sources they've they've, they've confirmed to me they want to be there they want to play but not at the expense of their own financial health mm, absolutely lucy i think it's in incredibly challenging um, and I don't want to speak on behalf of the clubs but what we're seeing the financial um, load that they're having to carry to complete the complete the ACL group matches and hopefully move into the knockout stages is significant um, the fines that you rightly point out and the sanctions and that are enormous um, under the competition regulations and that obviously be front of mind for these clubs we see whenever an a-league club qualifies for the asian champions league just how much it means so being disqualified for the tournament for a period of two years obviously has a big um, impact on their business their commercial partnerships and also from a sporting perspective something that they've strived and worked extremely hard for so i think from that perspective um, they've been placed in a really difficult position where really as we've seen in a lot of sports that broadcasters have significant power and that means that um, content has to be delivered and that places um, players has across the world placed them in a difficult point of view a difficult position i think what the real focus for us has been has been working through and getting those protocols to a best practice point of view um, fifpro has had input on that their chief medical officer has been involved in those um, discussions from our point of view and that gives us um, comfort the clubs have also engaged their own independent advice so i think in every step that could be taken on 
this end from the clubs and the PFA point of view has been taken. But I think you're absolutely right. What the players and the staff, importantly, are being asked to do. We shouldn't forget that this isn't only impacting the Australian players. It will be the same for the Malaysian-based players that go in. They'll have to endure a 14-day quarantine period when they go back. The Japanese season is still going on. So they'll have to face a choice, really, of um, essentially deciding what um, tournament they prioritise. Do they prioritise the J-League or do they prioritise um, the, the Asian Champions League, which means so much to these teams? And we've also seen some of the, you know, the defending champions have to withdraw from the tournament because of um, a negative COVID test. And that obviously would have been a huge blow to them. So you're absolutely right. There are significant economic interests here. But what we want to see in this decision-making is that the health and safety of the players and also the community is put first. And I think that sort of comes back to that point I made a while ago about engagement directly with FIFA Pro Asia and the AFC is absolutely vital in this, that they are engaging with the players' collective representative, so they are hearing these um, concerns directly from the players and potentially not having to be funneled up through the members' association. We've seen that function really effectively in Europe, that relationship, and it's really critical that that's improved and that there can be greater collaboration between FIFA Pro Asia and the AFC if this tournament is to live up to its potential and hopefully get somewhat closer to what we see with the UEFA Champions League. Before I bounce over to Stolich, I mean, you mentioned the, the competition itself there. Um, you know, one of my concerns and what I'm hearing is, and if you're reading in the press here, is that Korean based, uh, sorry, uh, Korean based clubs will be sending, you know, B teams. Japan, they'll be doing the same thing. China won't be able to send any teams at all because of their government regulations as it stands. Um, what does that do for the integrity of the competition? Because we talk about, okay, well, why can't these three clubs, Perth Glory, Melbourne Victory and Sydney FC, send over? their B teams, but we don't effectively have the squad depth to be able to do that, do we, Bo? Yeah, and, and it's important, the basis in which, and I've discussed this with, with others, to be able to say we're going to send our B players, B team players or youth team players, whatever you want to label them, because it's not safe for our A-League players. You know, my view on that would very much be, is it safe or is it not? Not whether it's more safe for some than others. I think then you get into that high-performance discussion, Lewis, of how are these teams adequately preparing for the A-League season? Um, of being able to do so you know for having discussions with some of the coaches they're looking at if they are able to train when they come back to the country they've essentially got a five-week minimum um, five-week period of a pre-season to be able to prepare and work extensively with the players day in day out in a more um, I guess controlled environment like a camp pre-season camp type environment so from that point of view, I think they hopefully are able to prepare, but you're absolutely right. This is going to have enormous, enormous impacts on the preparations for the A-League season. Um, and we're seeing that, as we said, in Korea and the K-League with teams effectively having to choose what tournament or what competition they're going to prioritise. And that's certainly not what we want to see with the Premier um, uh, competition mm -hmm. in this region. Mm. Stolich, um, one of the things that we've been discussing is potentially moving back the A-League season to try and accommodate this scenario, but then we're also tied in a contractual agreement with our broadcaster, who we know have been pretty disenchanted with the game and have, you know, threatened to walk away in the past, and we've only, you know, allegedly got them on for another season before it goes belly up and we end up in the wilderness. Um, but, you know, what have some, some projected theories been around some solutions on this? Well, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the way I look at it is 
pretty clear in that, okay, if you can't move the start date, which I think you should move the start date if possible to allow the best players to come back, because I think the clubs have to send their best players because, like we say, the players want to go. They want to compete in the Asian Champions League. This is their best, you know, this is the best competition that they can compete in in our region. Uh, so I think they should go and they should send their best team if it's safe to do so, like Bo's saying. But if it's safe to do so and the players want to go, the best players should go. Great. When they come back, then I think the season should be pushed back. If not, then I think that's where you play your B team in the A-League because for two reasons. One, we know how the final system works here and you don't necessarily have to finish, you know, first on the ladder to win the A-League championship. It's just the reality of the thing. I don't like the idea of, you know, diluting our own competition. But if Fox are willing to, aren't willing to budge, then it's okay. Well, then the younger players get the opportunities in there. And I don't know how registration works and, and although that can be an issue as well, squad registration, we have very small squads. I don't know, you know, even coaches who would be coaching the, the team if they're still in quarantine. It's a nightmare situation. It needs to be solved. But I feel very, very sorry for the clubs, actually, you know, and we've previously been critical of the clubs with certain issues, but we're very sorry with them having to deal with all this. And, uh, you know, I think I would love to see the solution being the best players go to the Asian Champions League. We represent ourselves as, you know, as best we can. All the safety precautions are there. They come back. They're able to do, um, you know, training while they're in um, uh, quarantine. Let's also, you know, point out that uh, the, the cases are a lot lower in Australia right now. We've got a lot better at handling the situation than six months ago. So we need to act accordingly now as it was six months ago. But, yeah, that, that's what I would like to see. But, who, you know, who knows? Because if no one's willing to budge, then you're going to get a pretty messy uh, solution. Bo, what I are think, some um, yeah. on on from, from the, the, the players' union perspective? But also I know that, um, you know, many months ago when the pandemic first struck, Gianni Infantino came out and said that FIFA would be granting a, a FIFA hardship funds to leagues that are effectively struggling. I might be asking on a wing and a prayer here, but is that something that we could access in this situation to help these clubs? As as I understand it, Luz, the FFA have been been handling that, and I'd imagine they would have applied um, to that. Most leagues around the world have applied for that. There's certain criteria um, associated with that, but I'd, I'd say it's highly likely that they would have applied for that. Um, I think the challenge for these um, for the draw scheduling is significant because we've also, and we haven't discussed this, the borders um, and how that's all going to play out based on um, COVID across the country. So I think to, to Nick's point, obviously the best solution is the players being able to train whilst they're in quarantine and continue to prepare and maintain their match fitness. If they're unable to do that, you know, all the research that we've been through is players would really require roughly around a minimum of three weeks um, to be able to prepare, to be able to be at a level to compete. Does that mean they're going to be at their best? No. And that's the that's one of the key concerns with that, of ensuring every player has an opportunity to be at their best and that some clubs aren't unfairly having to play a lot of matches in a short space of time as soon as they come out of quarantine effectively. And that will obviously have an impact on the integrity of the A-League. We know how important this season is going to be from Mel Melbourne Victory, for example, who had a difficult season last year. So they, with a new coach, with Grant, will be eager to do really well in the A-League. So they won't want that sort of undermined by having a huge backlog of, of matches um, to play as well too. So I think ensuring the draw has as much flexibility as possible 
to manage that is going to be the key part. We see that around the world with how clubs manage the UEFA Champions League and the English Premier League, for for example, making sure there's a huge amount of flexibility. That's something that we've long advocated here. We've got a lot better at that, particularly in relation to heat. That's another dynamic that we have to manage as well too. Um, so I think from that point of view, the real focus needs to be flexibility in the draw and making sure that we aren't getting into a position where players are simply just playing match after match after match. And we're starting to see that in Europe now um, with the coaches coming out and talking about from Pep Guardiola to Jurgen Klopp, talking about just the impact this is having on on teams. Um, and importantly, your team, Lucy, and my team has been uh, significantly <laughs> impacted um, by the amount of matches with um, and particularly in the central defensive uh, position as well. <laughs> and we're going to talk about uh, my beloved Liverpool. Of course, I had to wear their shirt today after their heroics. Uh, this but, uh, we'll talk about them a little bit later on. But while we've got yeah. you, Bo, um, I want to switch gears because obviously this is such a, a complex issue um, and I hope going forward that uh, we are able to get the right outcome for our A-League clubs uh, because they, de they deserve some help in this situation, I truly believe, and the players as well. I think that we can all agree everyone wants to compete, but can we do it uh, in a scenario that's not going to be to the detriment of the players' health and safety and also to the current economic um, you know, landscape that we are facing at the moment, no thanks to COVID-19? We know that these clubs are really struggling and have struggled throughout this period to make ends meet. Um, but um, that leads me on to my next topic of conversation with you, Bo, about player contracts and what changes we can expect around them for the upcoming season. Um, what are some of the, the, the contract lengths that we're looking at now? Uh, how have that affected the salaries that are being doled out? I'm not sure if you can dive into figures specifically, but what yes. type of um, you know scenarios are we looking at when it comes to that? So the, in terms of the A-League, the minimum terms and conditions, so the minimum salary is very similar to what it, it has previously been historically over the last few years. Um, what we're looking at is increasing the flexibility regarding youth contracted players to allow clubs to be able to retain them for longer and keep them in the system um, and ensure that the minimum wage doesn't act as a barrier to that. Um, so we're working, working through that at the moment. In terms of the length of contracts, most players' contracts were originally through to the end of May. Um, they'll need to be extended out to June 30. Um, that's sort of how that would sort of be managed. So essentially, Lucy, to answer your question, there'll be a 10-month um, contract, so a little bit shorter than what, what they normally are. Most of the rest of the architecture that sits around the players will be the same and maintained from the insurance provisions to um, scheduling to commercial obligations to all those sort of things. They will will mirror what previously has been in place, which we're really happy with um, and the players are satisfied with. In relation to the W League, it's, it's very much similar. I think, as I said last time I spoke to you, Lucy, we're confident there's a real commitment from the clubs, FFA and ourselves to maintain all those really hard-won um, or hard-earned, rather, um, minimum protections that are in place for the W League that will ensure our players can commit to the sport and really prepare the best they can to be professional footballers. So that's sort of where, where that's at. But I think most of it we've managed to maintain, um, which we're really pleased with. One question coming through from Mike Long before we move on to the next topic. Um, what's going to happen after July with regards to player contracts? Yeah, that's a it's a really important um, question. There's been a lot of discussion about what it could look like, um, that there could be a break and we could move into a winter season. I think our real focus is understanding strategically why we would make that decision, um, understanding the basis of why we think from a commercial point of view, from a sporting point of view, 
to the well-being point of view of players playing in heat or in winter, um, we really want to work through that collaboratively with FFA and the clubs to make sure that we land on where the season window is in the best possible spot. So that's it's a really vital strategic decision that we've made. And obviously, over the course of Australian football, we have sort of ebbed and flowed from a winter to a summer season. When we elected to a summer season, it was for certain commercial reasons um, that we thought that was beneficial for the game, but it did come with the complexity of heat. Um, so it's an important opportunity now to re-evaluate that and see where the A-League um, best sits from, as I said, it's going to be a really important decision that we need to take into account all of these important factors um, as we make that decision. Stolich, this might be the perfect time to talk about the proposed switch to winter and we've seen a, a number of articles doing the rounds. I know that Joey Lynch has spoken about ways that we could potentially revamp the FFA Cup but now this contentious issue of how do we fill the gap if we do move to winter um, and we are in a scenario where we could not have football for eight months and in that period. Yeah, and uh, Bo, it might be interesting to get uh, the PFA's perspective on this, but there, there's talk about in Vince Rigari's article here that we've got up on screen, expanding uh, the FFA Cup to fill that void. Uh, I wondered if you guys have been talking about it, it, what you guys think about that idea of expanding the FFA Cup and and what, what can be done. You know, our players just going to be straight off contract. You know, if you, if you finish up your contract at the end of kind of this season coming and then you have to wait eight months is that is that what's going to be happening or there certainly there certainly hasn't been discussions on that specific point nick um our mm. view would be that we need to ensure our players are playing regularly um that absolutely sits at the heart of our international competitiveness and having an idle period of eight months um, would not be beneficial to the game we saw the right. impact that that had um, between the NSL and the A-League when we did have that period. And and many people have referred to that, particularly for our young players, almost a lost generation. So I think at a point when we will be needing to prepare for the, for the World Cup um, and we've got really important uh, international games into the future, but also... Um, I guess the visibility of the A-League or Australian football and the Australian consciousness is really important. So we need to make sure it remains uh, visible, whether that is an expanded FFA Cup, whether, as the article uh, mentions, a League Cup, pre-season tournament, whatever it is, to make sure that our players are playing regularly and they're playing at a high standard, I think, is the principle that we'd all be working from. I'd like to think so anyway, mate. Yeah, and, and not only that, something that the fans can get in, you know, mm. eight months without being able to support your club. I even see it now with, with the A-League at the moment, this kind of three-month, four-month period. People are like, I miss the A-League, but it starts to lose its steam, I think, when you have such a break. And, and then, you know, that thing of supporting your team every week, you start mm. to lose that momentum. I think it's crucial. Mm, absolutely. I think momentum in sport is is vital from, you know, a team performance performance to a league um, for the overall league. And when we saw the A-League at its best, it, it, it did have a lot of momentum. So I think you're absolutely right, Nick. We can't afford to have a period of almost inactivity um, where the sport's not being played, it's not in the view of the public, and we're losing all that momentum um, that hopefully will build up over the course of the next season. Um, you'd like to think we're in a stronger position when we're having this discussion at the end of next season and we're talking about how do we maintain the momentum of the competition, not simply that we're going to put the sport to sleep for a period of eight months, which would not be not be beneficial for anyone. 
Oh, Bo, I wish we had you for a much longer time. Um, but um, as we look to wrap up, I want to ask you one final question about a topic of conversation that's come up, and it's a really disappointing one, actually, and my heart actually breaks for Josh Hope, the former Melbourne Victory midfielder who made the announcement that he's going to quit professional football, uh, citing the uh, abuse that he receives on social media, which has just been devastating. Um, I note that you commented in the original article that came out via the Sydney Morning Herald, thanks to Vince Urugari, but um, your views on this, Bo, and what support you've provided to Josh uh, during this time? Yeah, so really, as as I mentioned in my my comments to to Vince, Josh is a wonderful young guy and one that I really enjoyed going down and being able to spend time with when he was at Melbourne Victory and really enjoyed watching Josh play. I think he's a hugely talented player and I remember um, through the PFA we do highlights packages for players and, and watching Josh's highlights package when the guys put it together and just seeing how talented a player a player Josh is. So to, to hear what Josh has been through is really heartbreaking. Um, it's not the first time I've heard that. I think there's a lack of understanding from, from these trolls um, that are putting this out there, that they are talking about a human being. Um, somehow uh, when you put on a, a professional football hat or, or you become a professional footballer, you're somehow meant to lose your humanity. So I think it has a real impact. As a, as a player, there are huge challenges associated with reading that. Um, I remember myself going into uh, fan forums and I certainly wasn't anywhere near as talented as Josh, so it was always going to be pretty brutal for me. But it would it would have an impact. Um, it would have an impact on me. So to hear that that's happened to Josh is really challenging. I think we need to ensure that sport protects its people, um, and I think that's a really multifaceted approach. We need to make sure there's really strong education and support for our athletes to cope with this and to make sure that people start talking about it. So it's really great that Josh has mentioned it. It means that other players can hopefully come forward now and be as brave as him and actually get the support that they need to deal with this, but also sports need to play a real leadership role in holding social media platforms to account um, and making sure that fans and that we build a really positive and rich culture around the sport because the last thing any of us want is people turning up for work and feeling like it's a really awful negative experience and importantly that talented young players are departing the game, um, almost feeling, feeling like they're being driven out of it. So I think from that point of view, yeah, it's really heartbreaking what Josh has gone through. Our focus now is making sure he's really well supported. We have been in touch um, with Josh. As I said, he's a wonderful young guy and we'll continue to make sure he has all the support he needs and hopefully we all get to see him back back on the pitch um, doing really well. well can, I just, can I just quickly ask, is it something that's happening more yeah. often uh, at the moment? Are more players coming to the PFA and saying that this is a, an increasing issue? You know, we, we, we've seen it a little bit kind of more, more prevalent, I guess, during the World Cup with someone like Robbie Cruz mm. and, and the, the crazy abuse that he got. Is it something, it does seem like it's something that is becoming more of an issue. And I just wondered if players are speaking to the PFA more about it. Yeah, absolutely, Nick. I think there's sort of, there's probably two aspects of that. I think it's occurred for quite a while now, but I think people are more comfortable, which I'm really encouraged by coming forward and talking about it. I think that's really, really vital. We saw a similar phenomenon with mental health where people weren't talking about it publicly and then they started to feel more comfortable. So I think that's really positive for us that we're feeling like that the players are reaching out to us and talking about this. We have done um, a lot of education about social media 
particularly with National Youth League players um, and the younger players coming into the sport. We essentially induct players in and talk about it um, with them, but ensuring they have that ongoing support is really vital. We do have a team of psychologists available to players um, at any time. Last year, we had about 140 individual confidential counselling sessions, and some of them, Nick, may well have um, been to do with social media abuse. I imagine they would have. Um, but it's definitely something we're seeing more and more. And we've seen really just how far it can go in the UK where we're seeing this constant abuse, particularly race, racial abuse of players over there. And we've seen the English PFA do some really important work to support their members over here. And we certainly want to avoid getting to a similar um, position here. Oh, it's just been really awful stuff. Um, you know, take it from me who's been at the forefront of receiving abuse on social media. It's it's not nice. And it's certainly changed the way I interact on social media. I used to be really active on it, um, posting tweets regularly, posting a lot on Instagram and really enjoying the way that I could connect with people. Um, but I've taken a step back because it's just become such a dark and ugly place mm. and it's not enjoyable anymore. And to be a yeah. footballer where so much of your no. career plays out on these social media platforms and people are taking aim at, at you regularly um, and, and from your own supporters as well, from my understanding, you know, mm. he was copying it considerably from, um, you know, a number of, of victory supporters. Shame on you. That's disgusting mm. behaviour. And we need to start thinking about the way that we treat human beings on social media and the platforms, these social media platforms also need to start, they need to start to acknowledge that they have a part in this. They have a part mm. to play and it's an important one in how they deal with this going forward. It's not enough to just say to people, I'll just block them because you have to read these things in the first instance and that's not good mm. enough. So we need to start being held yeah. accountable for the way that we interact online and um, and it's really a very sad story. We've had so many footballers walking away from the mm. game and to, to hear that it's because of this is, is really gut-wrenching. So, Josh Hope, you have our support here at the World Game, mate. We wish you all the very best going forward. Bo Bush, you've been an absolute delight to have with us here today. I could have kept you on for the entire program um, but there are so many issues that we need to tackle in Australian football, but I'm so glad to know that both yourself and Kate, co-chief executives at the PFA, are, are taking a handle on, on most of these issues as well. So thank you for your dedication to the game, your commitment to us here at the World Game. We've always got a place here for you, and we wish you all the very best going forward as we navigate some very challenging waters, my friend. Take care. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Appreciate the invite. Yes, great to have Bo Bush there as we swiftly move on to our next very exciting guest that we have joining us here today. Of course, uh, Stolich, you and I will dissect a lot of what we've just discussed with Bo a little bit later on in the program, but um, we've got a very special gentleman joining us. It's a very warm welcome to the great Diogo Ferreira. Welcome to you, Diogo, former A-League player now and and now an, a, an absolute star in his own right to current A-League players. Um, I read the fabulous uh, story that you did with Nick Stoll there and we've uncovered a real you because so many footballers are singing your praises and saying that you are the one-stop shop, the one man to come to, to better themselves as footballers now. Thank you for joining us here on the program. But firstly, I have to ask you, how are you going down there in Melbourne? How has it been? Good. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me, firstly. Yeah, it's been a bit tough. It has been a bit tough. Um, couldn't work for a while, couldn't do any of the sessions, which is really hard, not only on myself, but all the all the kids that I train and all these kids that are used to being active as well. So it was really tough times, but now slowly we're turning the corner, which is, which is exciting. And all the clubs are getting back into it very soon as well in the, in the next week or so. So it's exciting times at least, something to look forward to. Stolich, over to you, some questions for Diogo. Of course, you did the story with him, so give us some more insight. 
Well, yeah, Diogo, let's tell people, for anyone who didn't uh, see the story, uh, let, let's just talk through uh, kind of your story because we all remember you in the A-League, you know, promising young player, you went overseas, played for a few different clubs overseas, came back to Australia, kind of retired quite early, uh, you know, for, for, for a player's age. And then you got into coaching and, and you've always been into coaching since you were 18 and even when you are at Melbourne Victory, you were doing clinics and stuff. But, you know, your coaching's gotten to such a level, both with the juniors, but even A-League players were coming to you for one-on-one -on -one coaching, talking uh, Bruno Fornaroli, uh, James Donachie, Luke Braddon. And and they were all, when I spoke to I spoke to Bruno Fornaroli, I spoke to James Donachie, everyone singing your praises really, really highly, saying that you should be involved, not only in what you're doing, but in A-League clubs, in Australian football. So it's great to do it. But just tell us, how did that all come about? Yeah, it's always great to, to get feedback like that, especially from top professionals, obviously. Um, but yeah, just all kind of just happened. Like like we, we spoke about, I was always um, involved in coaching, um, even during my career here at Malvichu. So I always knew it was the path that I wanted to go down. Um, and then, yeah, eventually once I, once I came back to Australia after being in Japan, I kind of just fell into it, started coaching a few kids, a few older people, and then kind of just, it kind of just grew and grew from there and I really found my passion and that's why I kind of decided, you know what, it's time just to focus on this. Um, it's time to give back to these, these kids and these professionals and, and ultimately give them something that I didn't have when I was a player or when I was trying to break through or even when I was at the top of my game. So I guess that's what I'm trying to achieve now. And what do you think that is? Because I think that's something that so many people watching, you know, whether they're parents of kids, they, they, unfortunately, I think uh, in Australian football, because of our lack of youth development pathways, so many kids are going to get extra coaching, whether it be from a, a private academy or what. So what, what is it that you specifically kind of give to players that you didn't have growing up? I guess it's just at, at an age where, you know, where they really know their position, their they're at a certain level. It's about getting that extra individual training that you don't get in your club football. Um, it's very hard for a, for a coach or for, for a team to really focus on positional specific stuff, especially when there's limited resources, um, not enough time also. So that's where I kind of step in and, and I'm, I'm able to not only give them the feedback at the training session, but obviously analyse games and go into a little bit more in-depth um, with them also to see what, what's lacking their game and what they can do to take their game to the next level. Yeah, and Lucy, that was the cool thing I just want, kind of want to bring up is when I spoke to Bruno Fornaroli, he said, like, I was working with Diogo and after two days or the first session, I was like, man, I'm going to need this guy every single day because, of course, he had just been basically kicked out of Melbourne City by Warren Joyce, which was a great decision, Melbourne City. Yeah, mm -hmm. Nice one there, guys. Um, and then he was with Diogo every day, and Diogo was working with him on, you know, receiving the ball, turning and shooting, and, and that's how he scored a lot of his goals for Perth Glory this season. So, and it was working with Popper as well uh, when Popper was in charge there to, to really have a nice focused training plan uh, for Bruno. But, yeah, it, it's really interesting. It is really fascinating and, and the fact that you've been, you know, able to transition from an A-League player and take that knowledge into this space, Diogo, I have to ask you because, you know, usually when I take my daughter out for a walk, I see a lot of people out, um, you know, running their own academies, uh, taking kids for sessions and things and it makes me nervous and I'll tell you why it makes me nervous because I wonder who the hell is this person that these parents are trusting, um, you know, with their kids and paying a lot of money to to be able to kind of teach them the really important skills 
skills, um, you know, required in football. And it worries me because I'm seeing a lot of these types of academies pop up, right? Um, but for, from your perspective as well, how is it that you're able to really get that point across to parents who might share the same concerns? Yeah, it's, it's interesting at the moment. Um, everyone seems to be a coach. Everyone seems to be a one-on-one coach, group sessions and all that. But I, I, I'm a strong believer that if you deliver a good service and that you're actually teaching the kids something, they'll constantly come back to you. And I, I believe these people are just appearing. Not saying that not some of them are not good, not at all. But I guess at the end of the day, it kind of everyone weeds, weeds out a bit. Um, and, and yeah, so... I guess for me, it's it's a lot of word of mouth. So a lot of the people that come to me now is because obviously they know someone that's worked with me, or they they've worked with me themselves, and then they and then they keep coming back, which has been great. And you, of course, you were a talented footballer in your day. I mean, at the age of sixteen, you you joined the Porto Youth Academy, and you've been a, a real and you were a stalwart in Australian football as well. We really enjoyed, um, you know, watching you. But you're still young, thirty one. So I want to know what led to the decision to stepping away from the game and wanting to transition in this space. Yeah, it's definitely a bit crazy because any of my ex teammates here in in the A League, if they found out that I. You know, if they hear that I retired at 30 or whatever, they'll think it's crazy because I always took my football really, really serious. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, it just came to a stage where I just want to pass on my, my knowledge, my expertise to the, the next generation. And honestly, it's just about giving these kids something that I never had. The reality is that um, at a young level here in Australia, a lot of the coaches are dads or volunteers or whatever that might be. So realistically, before leaving to go overseas, I can't say I learned a whole a whole lot off anyone, really. It was more myself, watching games. Um, this that Still give credit to some of the people I worked with, definitely. Um, but I think that's just what's still lacking. So I just want to continue giving that and also helping these professionals that, you know, I found it um, really amazing, I guess, that there was more people with the same beliefs as me. Like if we talk about James Bonnicky, Bruno Frenaroli, Luke Braddon and all the other A-League boys that come and see me. Um, it's great to see that people have ambitions and they know that, you know, they can always get better and they can keep working harder and harder, which is really important. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, that's the difference between them taking a step to the next level and and looking back on their career at the end and knowing they've achieved everything they're, you know, they're probably capable of because that's what I believe I did. I believe with all my hard work, I probably achieved the maximum. Maybe with all my hard work, I should have been playing at Real Madrid or something, but it didn't work <laughs> out. <laughs> Oh, over to you. Yeah, Dil, I wanted to know, you know, we've been talking today about uh, Josh Hope and, and he's kind of leaving the A-League and it's a bit of a trend at the moment. I think uh, even Ivan Strigan is saying it uh, in the in the comments. But, you know, we saw Chris Harold um, even uh, looking at Joey Champness, went away and uh, become a rapper for a bit. Now he's back in the league. There was a, a player at Adelaide who went to be UFC What's going on? And and speaking to people like in the league and young players coming up, is is the dream of being professional footballer? I think something that all of us who played the game at a young that we all wanted to be professional players, whether we got there or not. But you know, is it a? Is it all that it's cracked up to be? And b? Has something changed? Has did it used to be maybe a bit more glamorous or, or better? Or and now it's just like people are like, oh, this really isn't what I thought it was going to be. To be honest, I don't think anything's changed. I think uh, I feel like everything's more in the limelight now. So, like we're speaking about these plays that are getting that, you know, that abuse on social media and all that. So I think that's got a bit, bit of effect to it. Um, 
I think it's just it comes down to what each individual wants. And I, I guess here in the A-League, the reality is it is a dream to play, but, you know, people find other avenues or, or they think, you know, for the money that I'm making here, am I better off playing locally and then getting a job as well? Um, so I think that's got to be, you know, plays a big part in it. Because obviously if you go overseas and you're a professional player over there, you're not even considering uh, am I going to go play part-time football and get a job because I'm ultimately going to get more money than I would playing in a professional environment? So I think that's probably got got a fair bit to do with it, if I'm in all honesty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also, uh, I guess uh, something that I wanted to know is just your feelings around the A-League at the moment. You know, it's one of its most challenging times. You obviously played in it for a number of different teams. How do you feel the state of the game is at the moment? Are you worried for it? Are you are you concerned as as probably a future coach? I'm definitely concerned, obviously, and I and I feel and I feel sorry for the place. If I put my players hat on, then I would hate to be in the situation that that they've been in that they're going through. But at the same time, now me taking my players hat off and putting my coaching hat on, it's if we look at it, we've got to look at positives with everything and. And for me, it's a it's really, really good opportunity for all these young players coming through. So if there's anything I can take out of all of this, it's the opportunity for the young players that they're going to get now, obviously smaller, obviously salary cap going down, smaller squad size. So ultimately, that means that, you know, more kids will be involved, which is, I think, will be great for the game in the long run. I have to ask you, with your coach's hat on, is that something that you're thinking of in, you know, future respects? Uh, is it something you'd like to consider as a career path, moving away from one-on-one coaching but actually coaching a football club? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's that's what I would like to ultimately achieve. Um, at the moment, I've kind of fallen into this and I've kind of, you know, built this my academy up and my one-on-ones and I, and I still believe that there is a place for people like myself in a football in a in a football organization where not only for the older players that you know need a little bit extra of this or that but more for those young players making that transition from youth players to senior players i think there's a massive gap there where they don't get the the support that they need they don't get that extra you know bit of work extra bit of you know positional specific stuff that ultimately is going to make the club a better team and win games I think that's what the clubs need to realise is um, that bringing someone in that's obviously clubs think straight away it's just about finances. But have we thought about maybe we bring someone in and all of a sudden we're producing some more players so then we're selling them or the league's becoming better and we're making our money. So, But ultimately, to answer your question, yes, I definitely would love to be involved um, at a higher level um, in a team environment. Have you done your badges yet? Have you done any of your coaching badges? I have. So I'm waiting. I'm, I'm At the moment, I would have started my A, but I'm just waiting to get on it because obviously with all the um, with all the corona and all that, we've had to kind of put everything on hold. So definitely, you know, definitely going to do my A, definitely want to do my pro license as well and then kind of just see, see where it goes from there. What about the health of the A-League? Because, you know, I mean, I, I know that Stolich asks you what your observations are and you put your players hat on and you feel for everybody. But, you know, a lot of people are feeling like it's doom and gloom, Diogo, that, um, you know, the future of the game is in great strife and that we have to really worry about where we're headed. But how do you feel when it comes to that? Look, all honesty, I, look, I do feel a tiny bit like that at the moment. Like I remember last year I even went and watched Melbourne Victory in Melbourne City. And I was actually sitting there with my fiance, and I said, "Was this atmosphere? Was the atmosphere like this when I used to play?" Mm-hmm. And do you know what I mean? It just it, it 
yeah, it just wasn't the same. So I'm look, we could sit here all day and try and work out what the what the problem is. I think there's numerous issues all around, starting at younger levels, coming into yeah, so it's a bit hard for me to put a finger on exactly what the number one issue is. But if I am a bit worried about it, I would I would I would be lying if I said I wasn't. But I just try, like I said, I just try and take a positive and just think of all the young talent that hopefully gets an opportunity and starts coming through. Mm, great point. Um, Stolich, over to you, final questions for Diogo before we say goodbye. Well, I was just going to talk about, um, you know, we had uh, Glenn Trefiro on the show last week, another talented player who set up his own academy in football tech up here in New South Wales. And, and we see it all. We had Marcos Flores on the show, uh, you know, a few months back, but he was talking about all the work he's doing in the community. A lot of very talented players going into coaching who are going to be very talented coaches and we hear great things from all the people involved, you know, all the people who have been coached by these coaches, but they're not getting opportunities at A-League level and that's a bit of a worry for me. I'm not saying they need to necessarily be the head coaches straight away. I'm just saying what you see, obviously, in Europe, and it's a much bigger system, but players, as soon as they retire, they always seem to be able to pick up jobs at under-17 teams, under-19 teams, B teams and like that to really, you know, develop as coaches. And, and that's good for the clubs because then they get early access to those coaches. The prime example, Pep Guardiola at uh, Barcelona was at Barcelona B first and then they won six trophies in his first season. So I don't know. It, it's just um, interesting. How do you think, Diogo, that we could give more opportunities to young, talented coaches, some of these players who are retiring, they want to go into coaching, we, we want to get their ideas out there, but it just seems like they have to go down the route of setting up their own private academy because there isn't space for them. Yeah, I totally agree. I believe there's two things to this, to that point. Firstly, it's not about just you become, you know, you finish playing, you become a coach. I don't think that's, that's mm -hmm. the truth either because there's probably better people out there in the coaching world that have never played in their lives. But I believe that each club, especially if you spend a long enough time at a club and they know how you are, your personality, your work ethic, what you know about the game, I think it's, you know, it's a bit crazy that those clubs don't try and approach the players. I do think that, you know, ultimately you have these, these you'd have a coach that knows what it's like to go through the system, um, that can give not only the feedback on the pitch of these players and, this, you know, the, the youth, but obviously tell them, like, all these topics we've spoken about today, about social media, about this, about all, everything to do with football, because it's not just about the 90 minutes on the pitch. And so I think it's, you know, it's quite disappointing. And I also think there's there's lack of full-time coaches in, in just, say, Melbourne. You know, you've got – I'm a big believer that, you know, the Vic or the NTC team should have should have pretty much every age group. So that way you've got full-time professional – full-time coaches in there, full-time players also, so then they can strive to become a Melbourne City, Melbourne Victory player. Or if Melbourne City and Melbourne Victory are looking for a coach, then they'll go and have a look at what's next down, which is the NTC. So it'll create a pathway not only for the players, but for coaches also. And I believe that way coaches, you know, you will see more ex-players coming out and, and getting opportunities. Mm, fantastic stuff. We're so glad that you've taken your opportunity by the balls, can I say, if I'm speaking crassly. <laughs> you've done so well, Diogo. And it was thank a real great um, thank you to you and also thank you to you, Stolich, for bringing light to the work that Diogo is doing with these A-League players. Um, as we said, uh, they, they continue to sing your praises and rightfully so because you're doing fantastic work in this space. We wish you all the very best. For those that are based in Melbourne who could be considering sending their child to you, tell them how do they get in touch, how do they get involved? They can just go on my, my website, so 
Diogo at dfootball.com.au. That's probably the easiest way. Oh, fantastic. Well, it's been such a joy to have you here on the World Game Live. Thank you so much for making the time for us. We wish you all the very best, and we can't wait to watch how your career progresses. We'd love to see you coaching the national team one day, and we hope that you make it there, mate. Hopefully. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Good on you, Diogo. Fantastic to have his company today. And I really meant what I said there, Stolly. She did great with um, sourcing that story because it's one that was really a gem for us because it was untouched information that we weren't really privy to in the past. But the players just love him, don't they? Well, yeah, well, that was the thing. I mean, that was what I was kind of really interested about how much people like, you know, Bruno Floroli and James Donerke were singing his praises. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, yeah, he's okay. Like, they were like, I don't know why he's not coaching you know, in an A-League club. So it's great to hear. And it's just always cool to hear about, you know, young, smart, passionate people coming through in the game because those are the people that are really going to get us out of the hole. It's going to take a a whole bunch of these people, you know, whether it be Diogo Ferreira in Melbourne, Glenn Trafiro in in Sydney, Marcus Flores in in Adelaide, all across the country. And and let us know in the comments, you know, anyone else that we should be talking to about this because I'm always, always excited to talk to these people who are passionate, who are smart and and who are working hard in the community. And, you know, like Diogo, they're not necessarily just sitting around, oh, I never get an opportunity, I'm not going to do anything. Okay, no opportunity right now. I'm going to set up my own thing. I'm going to make sure that I'm working and constantly improving. So, yeah, it's great to have him and it's great to showcase his talents. No, a great guy as well. I hope he does well. And, you know, for, for somebody like him as well, to be in a position where he's wanting to give back to the game, um, that's not something that we see very often here. When players usually retire, it's to go on and do other things. But to be in a position where he's wanting to help not just A-League players but young kids and, and, and those who are really passionate and wanting to pursue their talents, um, I think it's it's great. So well done to him. Great to have his company on the show. Before we look to wrap up, Stolich, we've got quite a bit of news items to get through. My goodness Ooh. me, oh my, the Champions League this morning. Of course, that's why I'm wearing my Liverpool jersey because I distinctly remember having a conversation with my spouse last night before we went to bed anticipating waking up for this game. I'm so glad that it was a more friendly hour. But he said to me, oh, you know what? I think we're actually going to get dusted by Atalanta. And I was like, what? I said, hang on a second. I said, I know Atalanta are playing good football, but to get dusted by them because there's this element of nervousness around Liverpool Football Club at the moment because we've been without some of our greatest stars, i.e. Virgil van Dijk. But alas, we were able to get the job done. And from one Diogo to another, Diogo Ferreira, actually, he's the man himself to come and defend himself. Come and tell everybody what you said to me last night. You said, we're going to get dusted by Atalanta. Is that right? I didn't say dusted. I said it would be challenging. No, you said that you genuinely <laughs> worried. Come closer, that we were going to get Atalanta are a top team. Don't underestimate Atalanta. But no, you can't underestimate them. They had some, you know, some dangerous players, and I thought that it was going to be a lot more challenging. I, I, I was a bit worried, to be honest, because we've been in a good little run, and I thought that maybe you know that might end, especially going over there to play. Um, the way they play is pretty aggressive and press pretty high up. Um, and yeah, today it just didn't it didn't work for him at all. We just counted ah. way too fast, way too much space in behind for you know, how about that Salah goal? Yeah. Just vroom. that was incredible the amount of speed that guy has. But Luis, I mean, this show is usually too Croatian heavy, but this, this today, Diogo Ferreira, Diogo Hotta, Corey Gamero, what is this? The Portuguese uh, channel? I love it. I love it. Well, we're always giving you a bit of an ethnic flavour over at the World Game. I think that's part of our charm, isn't it? We're always representing those diverse communities. What did you think of the game overall? Uh, I thought we were excellent. That was probably our best performance, and I've watched us play um, a lot of games this year. 
Um, and today we were fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, they just they their game plan of pressing high up the pitch just really didn't work. Um, I think tactically it's probably from the manager because yeah. that's what they do in the Serie A and it works against a lot of teams. Um, but today, you know, going so high up the pitch and leaving with a three v three at the back or sometimes you know one v ones everywhere, it was just it didn't work. It really, really didn't work. Mm. All right, let's get it from you, Liverpool fans. You've won five nil. You're doing all right in the league. Let's get it. How confident are you of uh, winning the Champions League this season? No, I wouldn't say I'm Ooh. that confident. Would you? Uh, are you just saying no, it's not going to happen? Or are you saying no, no I'm not I'm confident? No, it's not going to happen. I just don't feel that confident. I don't know. I was I was feeling the same as Ruth saying. I'm a bit unsure until this morning. And now looking at that, um, yeah, I even watched that, um, the second half of the Real and Inter game um, a bit later on. And watching the way they play, I'm, I'm not actually that worried. I'm not that worried. When you hear of Real Madrid and Inter, you think, geez, they're powerhouses, you know, like they've got a lot, a lot of depth. No, Madrid are crap. Absolutely lost the they plot. Were, if it wasn't for individual quality at the moment for that team, Valverde coming inside plays an unbelievable through ball pretty much to save on you go, Junior, run onto this buddy, puts it across goal for Rodrigo. If it wasn't for that individual brilliance, then it's not really like it's a pattern of play where you can see what Zidane's trying to implement in that team. It's just individual quality. I, I wish I could talk more shit about Real Madrid at the moment, but I can't. The past <laughs> is even worse. So it's the one year, like Real Madrid, Real Madrid is stinking it up, and I'm like, oh, wow, I just want to smash them. And then and Barca every week are just like, oh, Jesus, who are these guys? Like, what is nah, Real Madrid are shambles too. Don't Can I ask you, speaking of shambles, though, what the hell has happened to Leipzig, right? They've been lighting the world on fire in recent campaigns, but they've just absolutely bottled it uh, on match day two of the Champions League. Stolich, six this food of mine. Controversial theory. But let me tell you something. Leipzig, doing well last year. Who was that Leipzig last year? Was it so, not David Zrilich? Yeah, yeah. David it, Zrilich. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it was only there in under-19 co-coaching, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's a domino effect. Once you get rid of that little gem, you know, Timo Werner also left. That was a pretty crucial uh, uh, exit. But David Zrilich not being there. That's what I reckon. Yeah, that was Salzburg. That was Salzburg, yeah. But yeah. you're right, you know, we've seen more actually from Red Bull Leipzig, but um, Salzburg this morning against Bayern, apologies, my correction there, they, um, they've they really, they've not impressed Bayern's at all. Bayern's the only team that I think at the moment would be a, a good hit out for us. And everyone's talking about... All right, uh, calm down, a bit of a good hey, hit out. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, we need a hit test. Man, Bayern yeah, would well, still probably most Liverpool right now. It's a good time to be a Liverpool fan. We're the best team in the world. We are the best team in the world. Uh, maybe Bayern is up there with us, clearly, but... Everyone talked about Van Dyke. Oh, well, how, how's it going to go without Van Dyke? Even people I've spoken to, at the guy at the park, we speak to Liverpool fans all over the place, man, and everyone was worried. I was a bit like, I don't know. We, we've kept five clean sheets, I think, since he's been gone. We've had two youngsters play. Um, Phillips played the other day, and, you know, last night we had the other young boy filling at centre-back, and Joe Gomez stepping up, and we've kept, we're keeping clean sheets. What about, Listen, let's, we've got, we've got to... Can we just say, we just say... Yeah. How arrogant. You guys lost 7-2 like a couple of weeks ago to Aston Villa and suddenly we're the best team in the world. We're the best team in the world. What are we worried about? It? That, could, that game could have gone very differently as well. Deflections sometimes go over the bar, go to the keeper. Three of them it's go true. in the net. Um, we still should have lost that game though. Let's mention Manchester City though. So they defeated Olympiacos 3-0 uh, this morning. Manchester City, I'll tell you more broadly, they're worrying me in the Premier League and their performances so far. Um, you know, every year we come into a Champions League campaign, we're saying big things about Man City. We're expecting big things from this football club, but they haven't been able to live up to those expectations just yet. Stolich, are you a bit worried about Pep Guardiola and his future with the Citizens? Ah. 
Yeah, they're so boring this year, City. City are crap this year. They're just like, you know, they City genuinely used to be like the most amazing team to watch because they just create like 30 chances a game. It'd just be every single time they'd just wipe through teams, six chances, cutbacks. Now basically they just pass the ball around, pass the ball around. They maybe break through once or twice. City are struggling at big time. I know they've had a lot of turnover and, you know, oh, players, injuries, whatever, but everyone's facing that. I think, I don't know what's going on, if Guardiola's been there too long, if if the players, and if you think about it, with City, there's no, like, you know, Kevin De Bruyne aside and Aguero when he's not injured, there's no players that you're really like, oh, my God, he's such an amazing, amazing player. Very good players for sure, but I just wonder about City. They're, they're not where they were, and, yeah, it does seem like they've declined. They don't create anywhere near the amount of chances, and I used to really really enjoy watching them and i gotta say i don't anymore i prefer to watch teams like leeds and, and atalanta and you know I, I don't know Bayern munich even well it's going to be a big game for manchester city and liverpool this week of course when they go head to head how about ben johnson what's this liverpool podcast jog on liverpool you were nowhere near the level of Bayern munich you know what ben, ben johnson yes, ben. you know what ben johnson no you can are. jog on son i've got the power to block people and you're coming dangerously close ben, to ben. Don't worry, it's all good. It's all good. We've got to give it to him. We've got to give it to him. I went near the level of Bayern. Nah, That's come on. I'd love to see us go head-to-head against Bayern. I think it'd be a Me fabulous too. contest. So I think it'd be very, very interesting. I- but the question that we did ask, Stolich, yeah. I want you to answer this. Um, what was the standout from this morning for you? I'll tell you what the standout is. You know what I love? I love a good villain. And you know what? No one no one makes me laugh in, in professional football as much as this man here. Luis Suarez. All right, Luis Suarez. A hero. <laughs> Only Luis Suarez could get booked in this way. Let's have a look. Luis Suarez booked after sneaking a look at the VAR monitor. Look at him there. He just come behind. Look, what's he going to do? Whisper in that. No, no, it's not, a, it's not a penalty. It's not a penalty. Luis Suarez, bro. I mean, that guy. Oh, you know what? I love Luis Suarez. Any man that's willing to bite someone to score goals, I want in my team. <laughs> I don't care. If you're going to bite a human man that's six foot, Six foot yeah. something to four goals, please, please come and be my number nine. Oh man, that's, when he said that to me, I was like, "That's just a, it's it's the mark of the man." Because clearly he's a striker I'll as well. Bite so him in for a goal, if man. you if you start biting people, I'm gonna know where your inspiration Mate. comes from. You got to be hungry to score. I you love got, it. Oh, I love it. Why do you think you what? got to Barcelona? You know, no, you got there because you're hungry to score. I mean, did, it, with the story, I think I've told it before, but when he was at Liverpool, they, they were so worried about him because the night before they'd play FIFA in, in their bedroom, you know, while they're waiting to go on a Champions League game or whatever, and he would wear a heart monitor that the physiotherapist gave him, and it would spike to the point of, like, is this guy, like, doing, like, sprints? Like, why? They said, Lewis, you cannot play this game. He's so competitive. There's this wonderful video of him back in the day. I think he's doing, like, a crossbar challenge at Liverpool, and he gets knocked out in the first round. And I think it's him, uh, Henderson, and, and Quartes. And Quartes is Uruguayan, so he wants Quartes to win. He starts <laughs> kicking the ball at, at Henderson, trying to put him off this game, yelling every time he does it. This man is the most competitive player I've ever seen. And, listen, he's past his best, but he will fight every day of the week. I love him. I absolutely love him. Um, one final game I want to quickly mention before we say goodbye to Corey and uh, wrap up our topics with Aussies abroad. Uh, mm. Ajax defeating Mitiland, Mobiles Mitiland 2-1 this morning. Um, Corey, I want to ask you actually just how big a deal is it that we're seeing Mobil, a fellow Australian, competing in the Champions League on this stage? I know it hasn't been the greatest campaign for them, mm. but how big a deal is this for someone like Awer? Oh, I think it's amazing. You know, like we, we talk about players in the past that have played at a high level and um, playing in the Champions League is a high level, clearly. So 
for him to be there and be playing against these guys, um, it's something that he'll remember uh, for the rest of his life, I'm sure. And I hope that it's not just going to be one time for him. I hope that he can try and you know stay at the club and continue to have success there, maybe move on somewhere bigger. Um, but either way, in that you know, admission, he's going to be involved in the Champions League most most years. You'd think they'd qualify. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, I think it's really impressive, to be honest. That is a home homegrown from us, you know, from Australia over there representing us and doing the best they can. And I'm really proud and happy for him. And I'm sure there's a lot of other players in the A League um, that played against him. And you know, the guys that are in his uh, under twenty, I think he's under twenty threes now in the Aussie teams mm-hmm. that are you know going to be in camp and talking about you know some of the games that he's. He's playing, and that's pretty amazing to you know sit down at lunch and switch out to him playing against Liverpool and Ajax while some guys are over here playing in uh, in the A League. You know they're going to be looking at today while thinking, "Wow, that's that's pretty amazing." I want to get to that. That's something I'd love to aspire to. Um, just quickly though, on Ajax as well, a host of their players missing positive uh, stolage for coronavirus. Not Scary. good for them, is it? Well, I mean, this is the crazy thing about this season. I mean, we used to have injuries like uh, hamstring out two weeks. Now we've got COVID out two weeks. I think uh, Shakhtar, no, Dinamo Kiev, I think, has about nine players out or something for the game, including both their goalkeepers. So it's like, you know, we talk about CNFC and all these teams having to send over B teams. You're just basically lucky if you can feel the team these days. It's getting ridiculous. I don't even know. The numbers are spiking like crazy in Europe. I don't even know if they'll be able to, like, properly finish the season or you know what what is going to be kind of these we're going to see crazy results basically so anyway, it'll be what it'll be. One, one final question before we say goodbye to you khalil kl good afternoon to you corey have you officially retired from football he wants to know yeah you'd think so i've been away that long haven't i but um <laughs> no i haven't um lucy be able to tell you i've been doing a lot of running and um keeping fit yeah some gym work i'm trying to get my body right it was a frustrating year at the mariners for me and um unfortunately with COVID as well it's made things a little bit difficult to try and put my hand up and say I'm ready to come back but I'm working hard for that opportunity and I hope that uh, it'll come my way and I can get back out and and try and bite someone for a goal man yeah yeah we just want to see him basically emulate his hero and smarters and start biting people on the field that'd be really great the father of my child biting people on the goal. football field that's enough from you thank you for joining us today. No it's a real pleasure no to have worries. you mate Take hey. care. I'll see you in the living room later on. Get out of here. All right, what an exclusive. Wrap- TWG. <laughs> Corey Gamero brought to you. Oh there you go. Let's wrap up the rest of the show, please. Um, And it's over to you for Aussies Abroad. Thank you very much, Nick Stoll. We're going to get in trouble because we've gone well over time again. But I'll tell you what really caught my eye in Aussies Abroad, in addition to Blackwood scoring as well and getting hopefully Harry Kuehl's Oldham Athletic out of trouble, but Pete Klamowski leaving the club. Um, And Mitchell Duke, he came out and spoke to one of our journalists, Dave Lewis, and, um, and was pretty honest in saying that he was surprised that Peter was actually able to survive for as long as he did because Shimizu is a club that's very, proud very big on their reputation they don't want to be seen to be losing consistently um but um really said that he felt for him because it was an opportunity that pete had to go on and do something special in the coaching space and for us as australians really great to see him go on and and spread his wings beyond the postacoglu era but it just didn't work out did it stolich it happens. It happens sometimes. You know, we talk about so many times is, is this person a good coach or not it's so it's so much about the fit Right? And the fit clearly wasn't there. I think uh, I'd really like to see Pete get another opportunity, whether it's in Japan or here in Australia. Uh, you know, Ange sings his praises, and, and there's probably no higher praise than that in Australian football. But, you know, they're second from bottom, uh, most goals conceded. You know, sometimes the results speak for themselves. But, yeah, it's just clearly uh, wasn't 
wasn't the right fit. And yeah, it's a shame. A shame he's gone. But hopefully, we uh, see him again in Australian football. I'm sure we will. Mm, and Haley Rasso, it's been a tough old week or couple of weeks for her uh, with the news, obviously, that her family's home and we've been robbed here in Australia. Um, and we just want to reiterate, if anybody has any information around that or has seen any uh, memorabilia of Haley's doing the rounds on eBay or anywhere on the internet, please contact her and um, especially the authorities um, if you can. But unfortunately, um, the fairy tale wasn't to be for her in the match, uh, the FA Cup match final against Manchester City. Uh, the citizens just too strong. They were far too good. It was always going to be a big mountain to climb. But for Haley's side, for Everton to be in that situation, I think we've got to commend them and commend her because it's been fantastic to see our very own Matildas doing well overseas, particularly in the UK. Yeah, and, and she's done really well at Everton. And, you know, it, it's not easy to come up to Manchester City who, like in the men's game, spend a lot of money and have a lot of superstar players. So, you know, they've, they've done well. They'll go back to the WSL and hopefully they can do well there. But, yeah, you know, it's a it's a great moment for her, even though it's a loss. It, it's similar to, you know, the AY-Mobile situation in that you're on that stage. That's, that's something historic. That's something that you'll you know, that you'll think about forever, that you'll be able to save forever. And, and we're super proud of our Matildas who are doing uh, so well uh, overseas. You know, also Jenna McCormack made her debut uh, for Real Betis in, uh, in Spain in the female La Liga. I think it was against Barcelona. That's really good. Um, you know, we're talking about uh, Riley McGree, George Blackwood scoring. That's fantastic. Um, so, you know, a, a bit of a mixed bag. Daniel Arzani got an assist recently as well. So, you know, we're starting to see some good news and good news that Harry Kill's side Oldham won as well. Mm, and good news that he, of course, is recovering from coronavirus, uh, which had put him out for a good few matches on the sidelines for Oldham. Um, we've got to wrap up the show now. It's time to do that, evidently, yeah. because we have been gibbering for an extended period of time and we do have to start capping our programs. Uh, but we can't help it, as we say every week here. We try to be better, but we can't be because we love engaging with everyone and we love gibbering about football. That's just how things go here. But we're going to end on the bad news, good news note Stolich, and it's over to you, please, to regale us with your choices for this week. Or yeah, choice. Well, well, this is this is the thing. I mean, let's talk. <laughs> I'm going to start with the good news. The good news is, and this is in uh, Spain. This is in, like, I don't know, a 10th division game in Spain. So I want to talk over the commentary. Basically, what's happened is the goalkeeper has gone up. They're 1-0 down. And as you can see, he's there in the green, right? And just watch what happens. Ball comes in. Oh, this goalkeeper shows great composure. Look at it. Touch. One, pass one. Vamos, vamos. Scores. Pass, pass the goalkeeper. Everyone's going crazy, right? This is the good news. But be careful. Because look, everyone's celebrating. You think he's done it. It's history. 1 1. It's going to be great, right? Look. But wait. Because we know that some bad news is about to come. And that, look, the commentators are saying this is obviously history. He scored his first goal. It's incredible. He runs back celebrating. But oh no, my friend. The game is not over until the fat lady sings. The final whistle blows. Because look what is about to happen. As he gets back, turn around, mate. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. The commentator's just saying, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Look at that. Can you believe it? Lucy, what would you do? You just scored the goal, your first ever goal as a goalkeeper. Oh, wait, a nice goal, not an easy header. Like, you scored top corner goal. And then look what happened. You concede straight away. 
I just love football. I love that it can deliver these moments of pure ecstasy and then all of a sudden they can become like a nightmare and everything comes crashing down around you. You can be a hero one minute, a villain the next or vice versa. It is fantastic. That's what we love about the game so much, but some fantastic content coming out there, Stolich. Well done for your bad news, good news. Um, my bad news is actually pretty morbid this week, unfortunately. The news that Diego Maradona, one of the greatest of all time, uh, is, is is due to, to undergo some serious surgery for a clot that has been found in his brain. Uh, he's been taken to hospital. He's been admitted there, uh, which is about a half an hour outside Buenos Aires, uh, and, he, and he's not in great shape, and it's just terrifying to hear. I mean, we all know that he's been a legend on the pitch, but he's also been quite legendary off the pitch in terms of his antics and the way that he's lived a very hard and fast lifestyle, you know, partying with Pablo Escobar in jail, saying that he'd never seen more beautiful women in his life, surrounded by everybody there. Um, but, you know, it's been well documented clearly. But um, this is some really sad news, some bad news. I really am sending my prayers and my, and my good thoughts to Diego uh, because we'd love to see him recover in good fashion. He's always been a fabulous character and provided so much to the game, a beloved figure by many um, and I hope that it's a, a good surgery and a, and a speedy recovery for the legend there. But here's a bit of my good news, and it's interesting how this fits into good news, and I like it because it was something that sort of dominated headlines in the UK and we picked it up here in Australia. But the good news is that we're seeing our very own Tim Cahill feature in some very spicy punditry moments featuring himself and the legendary Roy Keane. I absolutely love this. For those of you that may have missed it, Stolich, can we roll it um, so that everyone can be reminded and have a look? Yes, we can. So basically for anyone who missed it, he was um, commentator or he was analysing with uh, Roy Keane. It was, um, of course, the, was it Arsenal v uh, Manchester United, right? Yep, and, and Arsenal ended up winning, right? And, you know, historically as well, it had been a very long time, something like, you know, a decade plus that they hadn't won there. Yeah, and um, of course, uh, Cahill's close with uh, Everton, uh, sorry, Everton manager, Arsenal manager, Mikel Arteta. Mikel Arteta. He was in. He's a leader, right? And what I'm going to say here... In my mind about when I was eight, nine no, years of no, age. But, but Roy, <laughs> the key, the key. what I'm saying, there is no leaders out there. There's no leadership. And he's Roy's talking about actions. That could be a tackle. That could be on the front foot. That could be like pull the line up. That could be like clearing a ball off the line. Roy's talking about players that he's played with, with influence, that influence the game through actions. And I can understand that. But when you watch Arsenal against Leicester, and you see the high press, how aggressive they were. In, in this half here, Arsenal were just outside the 18-yard box on a corner. Roy Keane's not having it. And they were trying to suffocate them, press them in, win the second ball, win the third ball. Arsenal, Surely you're prepped uh, for that. You Surely you're prepped for that. We're building up to be some sort of... Arsenal lost to Leicester. Yeah, but they won. And they lost to... You mentioned but it. You know what? They lost to Leicester. They lost. Did they lose to Leicester? They know why Brilliant. they lost. That's what because they gave the game. Mikel knows the reason why they lost. Mikel has lost three games They missed their chances in the first half. They missed their chances in the first half. Lacazette, right on the line. How many league games have Arsenal lost this but season? Listen, but the key thing is Arsenal are progressing because there's an identity. There's a formula to the way they play. They, they, they play out from the back and they'll keep playing out from the back. And that's why I think Mikel deserves a lot of praise. And I agree with you with the leadership. These players playing for one of the biggest clubs in the world shouldn't need to be. How many, motivation. How many games have Arsenal lost this season? They've, they've lost, lost a few many? games, but they know they've why they've lost. <laughs> Know why they've lost? They finished the game and I they know why and, they lost. And, yeah, but they finished the well, game and they're learning. They won today one against a poor United team. All of a sudden, national what well, the new Bayern Munich. Yeah, do me a favor. Yeah, <laughs> <I know Roy laughs> oh, I loved it. I loved. 
loved at that end line where he says, do me a favour. And he makes a good point now. All of a sudden, Arsenal are the new Bayern Munich. But what I loved about it and why it was good news is it's fantastic to see our very own, you know, Timmy Cahill, such a beloved figure here in Australia. We'd love to see more of Tim here uh, in Australia, to be quite honest. Um, and, you know, giving back to the game, it'd be great to, to interview him. Timmy, I know you're probably not watching, mate, but um, we always give you the hand and an opportunity to come and chat to us. So whenever you're ready and available, we are here and waiting. But it's good news because, like I said, it's great to see him going toe-to-toe with um, one of the other legends of the game, Roy Keane. I think he's fantastic. He's a pundit, Stolich. He's just brilliant, right? He, he gives it to you straight. He's very honest. He's very dry. And I think that's what we need in punditry, some great honesty. Before we wrap up the show, though, just quickly, um, a reaction to the, the the discussion that we had with Bo Bush around this ACL conundrum. Can we see a way out of this? I mean, if people come to their senses, but if people act selfishly, then no. If the TV companies refuse to move, the leagues refuse to move, then no. And I don't know, hopefully they can work it out. But yeah, to me, the the, the clearest solution right now is to send your best team over and if need be, play the kids in the A-League and just, you know, hope that it works out okay. But, you know, I, we saw it in other leagues around the world when, they played the last kind of eight games of the Champions League or Europa League. They were allowed to start the season later. Real Madrid and Barcelona in La Liga started three weeks, I think, after the the rest of the team. So give them that uh, time to get back into preseason. So it can be done. Again, it's just there is a solution there, that's for sure. Mm, and some more headaches for Football Federation Australia as they try to navigate through this. I think one of my major concerns is how are they going to approach this with the AFC? Uh, you know, have they really had you know robust conversations that are going to bat for these A-League clubs or are they just more interested in protecting their own political relationships with them? I hope that's certainly not the case. I hope that James Johnson is doing all that he can to ensure that it's a positive outcome for A-League clubs. But some other mail that I have been uh, privy to actually is that reportedly the the FFA have until November 30 as a deadline to finalise this unbundling process. Now, depending on who you speak to, other insiders potentially at FFA have revealed that that's not necessarily a deadline, but it is what they're working towards. But I have some strong information that suggests that unless they're able to successfully uncouple from this and, and move forward as separate entities that apparently FFA could be in a situation where they have to reassume all of the debt and everything goes back to them because they've just, uh, apparently the clubs have just had enough with how long this process is taking. So it's been a very complex issue, understandably, but um, watch this space, yeah, because there's a lot coming out of the governing body at the moment. Um, but Stolich, fabulous to have your company. Everybody tuning in today. Santino Mamone, we missed you last week, my friend. I'm glad that you back. I'm glad to see that you have been engaging with all of our viewers. Hassan Bertan, great to see you, mate. Ivan Strag, and we've had the wonderful Bianca Petko tuning in again. We love chatting to you guys every week. For a lot of the stories that we have discussed, of course, you can head to the World Game website to get the latest in opinion pieces, video content, news and views. And also, Stolich, um, from our perspective as well, uh, you know, we've really enjoyed having the likes of Bo Bush join us today to talk about the deeper ramifications of the Asian Champions League conundrum that the three A-League clubs are in. But also speaking to Diogo Ferreira, who was a gem that you were able to uncover cover and the work that he's doing with uh, A-League stars and other kids looking to progress their skills. So if you missed any of those chats, of course, you can watch this later on demand. But Stolich, thank you to you, my friend. Thank you. And a reminder, no show uh, next week. Uh, NADOC week. SPS will be doing a lot of NADOC coverage. You can check out that. Very important uh, week to, uh, you know, showcase all the great uh, work being done in Indigenous uh, sport and all that. So yeah, no show next week, but they'll, we'll have a show the week after.
No, they're, uh, you're absolutely right there. And I've been doing some really meaningful interviews with a host of um, special guests as part of our NAIDOC Week content. I had the chance to sit down with John Moriarty and his beautiful wife, Roz, yesterday. For those of you that don't know, of course, John Moriarty, a legend of Australian football and has done so much in the Indigenous space, a massive activist and artist and a true visionary. But his story is one that's just so gripping and, and also heartbreaking because he was a member of the Stolen Generation. And when he told me that story, I actually... You know, I've, I've never been good at hiding my emotions, especially on television, um, but I, I couldn't help but cry. Um, it's a really moving um, and um, but also a very inspiring story as well. So look out for that content next week. And I'm also on leave, Stolich. I'm going to have a bit of a break. Next week I'm going to put my feet up. It. Corey and I and the baby, we're going to go down to Wollongong, enjoy some, you know, some time with family, bit, bit of time by the ocean. So it's going to be a welcome retreat for me, but we will be back the following week. So thank you, everybody. It's been a fabulous pleasure and an honour to share this space with you today. But on behalf of myself, Stolich, and the entire team of the World Games, goodbye for now, and we'll see you in a fortnight's time. Ciao.